Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live. From Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, my good friend, Stats by Will, Mr. Will Warren, fresh off watching uh, the University of Tennessee take care of the Ole Miss Rebels on uh, this fine Thursday afternoon. Will, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, It's nice and gray outside, my favorite conditions. Uh, Not really. Uh, If you're watching this on video, it looks like I'm calling uh, from the prison phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like they do in the uh, the murder documentaries. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a good setup going here in the whole. Um, but no, good on good uh, week so far. We're so close to Selection Sunday, to March mm-hmm. Madness, to our sport's biggest week. So it's right around the corner. You know what's weird is uh, last year I was so wrapped up in Tennessee's SEC tournament run, where like I'm like just gl- so glued in and. Look, this team's obviously very good. We've talked about it, and we'll talk about what happened today. But, like, I think the difference for me is, like, I think Alabama's probably going to win it. Like, they're going to win the the tournament here. Um, And if not Alabama, maybe Kentucky. Uh, But it's probably one of the two or something. And then I'm just, like, I kind of just want to get to the tournament with this team. Like, I really don't. I I can't get emotionally. Like, I'm watching today, taking notes. But I'm, like, yeah, this kind of feels like all exhibition, where I'm, like, let's just see how they look with certain things. I don't really care. I mean, losing Ole Miss would be really bad. But yeah, either than that, like, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, all, I'm not on a roller coaster, uh, this week with Tennessee basketball. I think it would be good for them to make it to Saturday and then bow mm-hmm. out. save like some legs for next week. Uh, because I mean, we found out last year and there's no indication anything's going to change this year that conference tournaments that are decided on Sunday do not matter for seeding one bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Matt Norlander tweeting out that CBS graphic of when the committee begins their work. And uh, David Warlock, I think is his name. He's the NCAA tournament head, uh, mm-hmm. from my understanding, or something big within the NCAA. Um, said like they had already like placed 20 teams in the field as of this afternoon, uh, Thursday afternoon. And so mm-hmm. I don't, he didn't say like they've been seated, but the fact that they're already placing teams in and kind of like mm-hmm. more or less locking groups in. And just one, I think people do kind of lose fact myself in, or lose track myself included of the fact that like 30 games happen before these three or four this weekend. Mm-hmm. And two, that, you know, you can't just automatically make the ones uh, this weekend count for more because they happen to be in a big conference tournament rather than just like a normal Tuesday night in Mississippi or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, but that being said, I think it'd be good for Tennessee to to win another game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who do they have next? I didn't even look before you jumped on. Missouri. Okay. And I think they will beat Missouri, frankly. Hmm. Um, Missouri is very Do we know what time yet? 3.30. 3.30 tomorrow. Yes. Extraordinary mm. paper tiger energy to Missouri. Um, mm. uh, won't say any more on that. Will not be developing any thoughts. Do not uh, keep these receipts. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think... Tennessee more or less just needs time on the court without Zakai Ziegler uh, just to like get lineups right, you know, figure out what gels and what doesn't. And so like today, you know, we're recording this right after they finished beating uh, Mississippi. I thought the game really turned when I think Tennessee was up 55-48, 55-49 uh, with 11 minutes left. And for the first time, as far as I'm recalling, all game, 
they went a you know true big man at the five and then four guards or wings to fill out the rest of the spots mm. and it was like that this the light switched tennessee's offense looked more crisp it had already looked fine but they you know like the defensive movement was so much better and i think they're going to realize that's probably their best path in march is mm. four guards slash wings you know kind of like take your pick of whoever's playing well between Vescovy, James, Phillips, Key, Meshack, maybe even Edwards. Um, I don't think I'm missing anybody. I guess no. if you really want to count, really want to stretch the definition of a wing, you can tell Kamwa to take threes when he's out there, which is not really his thing. Um, and then centered around like whatever big is hot, because mm-hmm. that's proven to be as good of a guess as anything, because none of Tennessee's bigs have really stood out from one another. Uh, they're more just kind of like energy guys. So I think four guards slash wings, one big, and then you hope for a good draw on Sunday and see what happens from there. But I, I'm, I'm at the point where I really do think, uh, barring a true disastrous draw or, you know, like our Tennessee's usual horrifying day at the office from deep, that they can make the Sweet 16. Anything further than that is going to be like, you know, going to need some luck. But they have the talent still to get to the second weekend. Yeah, it's just you have the number one defense in college basketball. Like, yeah. that could be... Like, it's just... That's going to take you far. It's going to be a problem week in, week out. That's not going anywhere. And that was the thing we saw in the Ole Miss game. And like, some just, stunning, stunning late-dropping news here. Tennessee up to 45th in Ken Palm offense. What were they before? Uh, 49th. But they were as low as mm. 70th after the Texas A&M loss. So, hmm. trending up. People be forgetting. 45th. That's not... I mean, not great. That's but not also, great, but that's not 70th at least. No, 70th is just like you're not making out of opening weekend if just a couple things go wrong offensively. Yeah. Um, so like 45th and, for example, like St. Mm. Mary's is 41st. And St. Mm. Mary's has been top 10 all year. So Would they know, be top 10 if they played Gonzaga every week, though? Would they no, have a win the, this but the, season? But the good news for St. Mary's <laughs> is, you know, you don't have to play Gonzaga again until the final four. Mm-hmm. So if you make it that far. I feel bad for them, man. They just cannot get over the Gonzaga hump. Yeah. Just can't they do it. Just don't have the athletes. No. Um, they don't have that Big 12, future Big 12 athlete production over there. They but no, good win for in. Tennessee, and uh, we'll see what happens with Mizzou on uh, Friday afternoon. Y'all are hearing this on Friday, so um, it will be, be fun to see. But either way, we're it's just, I, just get the minutes, get rotations. I want Barnes to get weird with rotations. I want him to, hey, BJ Edwards. We didn't, I didn't expect to see him today. I thought, uh, based on what we've seen thus far, post-Sakai, we were not going to see the rotation expand more. I figured Barnes would go the veteran route of, like, we're shrinking (laughs) the rotation. Where, like, Vescovy played, what, 39 minutes or something uh, before this? He played uh, a bunch um, against Auburn. What did he play? Did he play 39, 37? It was something like that. Um, And had the ball in his hands most of the time. So I just assumed that's what Barnes was going to do, was ride Vescovy (laughs) until the end here. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe he does get a little bit, uh, more free flowing and, uh, still throws a different, some different combinations with Tyreek and Meshack and, uh, BJ, um, over the next couple of games. And look, that's, that's fine. Uh, I'm okay with, uh, trying BJ out and different lineups, but I also want a dude to take some of these open threes. That was something I jotted down where I'm like, and maybe it's just because you watch the warmups and he actually is a good three point shooter. Is it the Dwight Howard thing where Dwight Howard like never misses a warm up three? <laughs> Or, never... Well, there's the story many, many years ago about mm-hmm. like how good the NBA players shoot in practice. And they're like, yeah, JaVale McGee hits eight out of 10 threes in mm-hmm. practice. And that's what I, I'm just like, 
Jonas, because the shot that usually follows isn't a good one because Jonas will then try and drive and kick and it just, it never seems to go anywhere. So I'm like, just take that. If it's going to be wide open, I I don't know. I think he's going to hit a couple of those. I'm okay yeah. with Jonas taking some of them. It seems like he, he's got some okay touch. Now, Tobey Awaka taking open threes at the top of the key or Euros. No, but Jonas, <laughs> I would like to see him take those. I, I would like to see him have the confidence to do that because that also completely changes his game going into next year if those start falling even uh just a little bit you you have to worry about him just a little bit but i don't know that's uh bad. that's that's maybe further down the road um will we have so much college basketball to talk about there's games everywhere we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of like what's happening today because a lot's going to change by uh the time this goes up there's uh let me check my notes here Seven thousand college basketball games going on right now and, and um, like four thousand coach firings to come i'm afraid oh my goodness um well we'll get into some coach firings here in a second but I want to ask you, I think this is kind of an under-the-radar situation. We have both said UCLA is a real title contender all year long, and now they lose arguably their second, third, at worst, best player for the rest of the year. How much of a loss is this, and can UCLA still make a Final Four, still win a title, um, losing such a big piece? I think they can absolutely still make a Final Four run. Uh, I am not totally convinced they can win the title without Jalen Clark. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's very interesting because you um, you kind of see what they were doing with him, and he was probably their best defender. And, like, yeah, so as we're recording, they managed to beat Colorado today, which is mm. you know, not a bad thing. Colorado is a little underrated for their record. Um, but they, they definitely didn't look like the same dominant unit they looked like for large stretches against Arizona. And, like, that he was out for a big portion of that game, but you it's kind of the Zakai Ziggler thing, right? You're playing with a little added emotion when a guy goes down sometimes. Um, uh, but I, I still really truly believe at minimum they are one of like the seven best teams in America, if not like the six. And if you're one of the six or seven best teams, you're going to have a legit shot at a Final Four. You still got Hawkes, you still got Tiger Campbell, uh, Bona and just like so many good pieces on that team. It's a bummer for them to lose Clark because like you said, I think if it wasn't Houston, I felt like UCLA was going to win it this year. Um, and you, uh, it's, it's a shame to see any team with as, you know, with as much upside as they had and as old as they are go into March down a man. Like that's mm -hmm. just a bummer for watchability if nothing else. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still think they can they can go pretty far. Title-wise, they would really have to compensate for that loss on defense to overcome mm. it. And they're gonna they're still gonna be really good def on defense. Don't get me wrong, but it's not. I mean, like they were about to pass Tennessee for number one after that Arizona game, as well as they played. Mm -hmm. So that kind of eliminates the deal where you really might have the best defense in college hoops. So I, I want to see what they can do there, and if they can consistently generate points to overcome that, because they have struggled on offense at times this year. It's interesting, too. I hadn't considered... So, I did you... Like, Houston... The Final Four is in Houston this year, right? Yeah. Has a team ever won where it's actually been the Final Four? I didn't think so, right? So, the only other time a team has... Um, and I, I did actually try to confirm this with somebody this week, just for in case. Mm. The only other time in like the last 40 years a team has uh, played in the Final Four in its host city, much less you know played in the title game, was Butler in 2010. That was in Indianapolis. So 
that's not like a true host situation. I, I think Butler is like eight, nine miles from downtown Indy, but it's more or less your host city. Like everyone's going to bandwagon on you that week. So I think the same thing would happen with Houston if they made it. Also, Jim Nance, this is his final March Madness, correct? Yeah, last tie he's ever going to hand out to the game MVP. <laughs> but didn't he go to Houston? Yes. So it could be that could be really poetic if they win mm-hmm. it all. And Nance is handing the tie to Marcus Sasser, mm-hmm. who's like kind of looking at him weird. He's like, what is this? Uh, and then Kelvin Sampson hands his tie to Nance to complete the circle. Does Sampson, uh, after accepting the trophy, just go full Hulk Hogan in WO and just reveal University of North Carolina as his T-shirt underneath uh, all the Houston oh. merch? No, he's going to re- pull it open and it's going to say FU Indiana on the <laughs> shirt underneath. I uh, I hope. I mean, he's a great story. And I do wonder if he's going to get targeted if uh, UNC does make a, a change. And I wonder what Houston, I mean, he's got a great thing cooking. Houston's like one of those where... They've been, like, I think, I don't know how people see them around, like, when you talk college basketball, what do you think, Will? Do people seem to have, like, this underdog sense with Houston? And it's like, they've been to the Final Four. They've been deep in the tournament multiple times now under Kelvin Sampson. Like, they're a juggernaut in this sport. It's not It's not a UCF in football type run no. um, for Houston. I, I don't know. Do you think they have that respect uh, from people you talk to? Like, hey, no, Houston's actually should be considered like a Baylor type. Like that is absolutely um, where they're at as a program year over year with Kelvin Sampson. The interesting thing about them from what I have uh, kind of uncovered is, so like, you know, talking to the field of 68 guys, mm. um, they have not featured Houston in their newsletter since January. And it's not like a, you know, outward hatred of Houston. It's just like, Houston is so consistently solid that we just mm-hmm. don't think of them much. It's kind of the Gonzaga corollary. Yeah. Where Gonzaga has outgrown the label of mid-major, and like some people will still toss it on them, but I, it doesn't really apply anymore. They're, they've got too much of a big budget. They've won too much. They're at the top of the sport too much. And I think Houston's encroaching on that territory. Because the UCF thing was like, yeah, they get to call themselves national champions for the one year. Mm. But it, when you look back, it really was just a two-year spurt. It's not like the sustained run of dominance inside a conference and at the top of the sport. That's fair. Um, more pressure next year. This is, uh, I wonder where you're going to go with this. More pressure to win next year and win big. Hubert Davis at North Carolina or Kenny Payne? at Louisville. Both teams, I think, will miss end up missing the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't count Louisville out at 4-28. and 28. <laughs> You never know um, what committee member uh, might be looking into them. Um, but also, shout out to Mike Rutherford for having a good sense of humor about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, Did you see his is... tweet about it? No. I need to pull it up while you're... Okay, go ahead. I need to, I need to read it out. It's pretty great. My, my answer here genuinely is Hubert Davis, hmm. um, which... I, I guess could be a little bit of recency bias considering they, you know, they did make the title game less than a year ago. Mm. But you can't go from preseason number one AP and like, yeah, we can debate if they ever should have been named that or not. Mm. But it's a fact they were preseason number one by what, you know, most normie fans would consider the poll of record. And they may not make the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. That to me is a bigger offense. And like, yeah, Kenny Payne was bad this year and Louisville was awful. But Louisville was not preseason number one. They went 11 and 20 last year, I think. Mm-hmm. And everybody generally accepted it was going to be a year zero situation. It ended up being a lot worse than anybody thought. But 
it, it, that like UNC's underachievement to me is a lot more impactful than Louisville's. Mm-hmm. So if if Hubert comes out next year and UNC is kind of doing the same thing where like that gets to January, February, and they're playing like a nine ten seed, like they're going to be in the bubble again. I think the heat is going to be really, really hot on him. And yeah. that's not like a source thing. It's just like you and I know the expectations UNC basketball fans have. And we, I mean, I think they're generally fair. That is mm-hmm. a blue blood program. That is a top five program in college basketball history. And they should expect to be at the top of the sport more often than not. And you know, you look at it this way, they're a fluke tournament run away from not having touched the top of the sport since 2019 mm-hmm. when they were a one seed. Because so, they've gone eight, eight seed, eight seed, and likely NIT since then. Mm-hmm. It's also, you tweeted about this. Oh, also, I have the I have the tweet for you. Okay. Quote, after Louisville lost uh, their first tournament game this year. Well, I guess now our fate is in the hands of the committee. Uh, Mike Rutherford tweeted out uh, following the loss. It was hilarious. That was just such a great tweet. They have a great sense. Um, I just, like, he, like, Louisville fans are just uh, in, just, like, in over their heads. Where they're just like, yeah. quote, in all seriousness, I don't think I'll ever be able to fully wrap my m- mind around what just happened. In four seasons from 2012 to 2016, we watched Louisville lose a total of 28 games. We just watched one Cardinal team lose that many in four months. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is something. I mean, just, we cannot overlook it. Like, I think it's okay if Louisville fired Kenny Payne this offseason. I think that's fine. I think that's, yeah. there is growing pains where it's like you're 500, maybe 13, 17 type thing. Four wins. Do you know how many wins Cal had? As on the at the for the entirety of the season, and they just fired Mark Fox, who we predicted before the year would probably get fired. Do you they know how top of your head three. they had? Right, three or four? Three. Kenny Payne had one more win than Mark Fox was able to uh, pull out over with an absolutely horrible Cal team this year. Four at Louisville. It's almost impossible to win four games at Louisville. Yeah. Uh, I have some breaking news. You're going to be shocked to hear this. Patrick Ewing got fired. <laughs> oh. Please he seems press like a nice F. guy. I feel bad. That just did not go well. Shout, shout out to... Uh, th- this will really get people going. Mm. Future Georgetown head coach Ed Cooley. How about that for you? Do you think he would do that? I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I wouldn't. But you, know, you can't really predict what a coach is going to do, I think. Hmm. I think at minimum he's about to get a raise. Hmm. They 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 got blasted today by UConn, right? Uh, Villanova. Or, but, no, I thought they played UConn today. Villan no Providence no Providence played, played UConn. UConn today, didn't they? Yeah. Now I'm confused. Hold on, didn't UConn so blast Providence? Providence is done in the Big East tournament. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, Providence got blasted by UConn, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, there you go. Jim Beheim. This is just a lot of coach movements. There's Good a lot. Riddance. <sighs> okay. Jim Beheim is a legendary coach. He almost made it 50 years in one job. He's obviously won a national title. Super successful for many decades. Very, very grumpy the last few years. Did not go well. It wasn't even really a retirement. It was like a, like the way they did it was like through a tweet. It was not like this 
Coach K, like, there, it was very different. Like, it's not called, like, a you've got to go, but, like, this was an absolute, like, you're not coming back. So, if we want to do retirement, that's fine. But, like, you're not coaching this basketball team next year type deal. And yeah. then you had a good tweet about, like, because obviously they went in-house and Jim Beheim picked his uh, replacement in the Tobias Funke Arrested Development meme, where it's like, it didn't work for those people, but uh, maybe it will work for us in regards to letting the uh, the longtime coach pick his successor uh, to lead the program. I don't know. What what do you make of Jim Beheim finally calling it quits in Syracuse? And do you think they could have actually done better and really gotten a big name if they had gone outside of the Syracuse family is this a good job is this fixable are they just not a premier powerhouse in the sport and that's probably just going to be the case going forward where are you at with Syracuse and then just kind of like your your broad Bayheim thoughts well in order I would say Syracuse is not a bad job it's not an elite job I, I thought it was kind of silly when people were trying to say it was a top 15 job in college hoops it's not but you're, you're actually in quite a good situation specifically right now where the ACC is you know kind of quietly in flux. Like mm. UNC and Duke have new coaches. Miami's coach is, I think Larinig is 71, 72. Mm. He's very old. Like Leonard Hamilton probably retires in a year or two. The only constants there are really like UVA is doing pretty well. And then, you know, maybe NC State's turning around. But the opportunity for you to jump right in and get things rolling again is right there. It's, this is not the ACC of a decade ago. Mm. Uh, I mean, they're the number seven conference on Ken Palm for a reason. They're going to put teams in the tournament, I'm sure, you know, whether we want them to or not. But uh, you're, you're going to have a real chance to turn things around quick. Um, I think in terms of like, was it time for Bayheim? The time was probably five, six years ago, frankly. That, you know, it, it's nice that he made the final four in 2016 and had a couple sweet 16 runs since. But you look at the paths to get there where that entire run, I don't think they got higher than a nine seed since 2014, uh, which given for a program of Syracuse's stature is pretty stunning. I mean, mm. we would be pretty shocked if like, it's funny to say this because they have done this, but if Indiana went the next decade without, you know, being a top eight seed, that would be pretty surprising. Mm. Like that's not supposed to happen. So, I mean, uh, and I think he just kind of, he got a little too committed to certain ideals. The zone is one thing. It was shocking when they started going man late in the season, just out of desperation because they couldn't run the zone correctly. He didn't recruit the right guys for it. But I think it's just people figured it out over time. It's a two-three zone outside of you know random one-off tournaments in March. It doesn't seem to work very well in the regular season, and the regular season is how you get to March. So, you know, the offense still looked pretty good for the most part, and they generally have had good shooters for the last decade, but you haven't really seen a Syracuse guy go off the NBA for a long time, which doesn't help recruiting, and I think Bayheim was very slow to adapt to the portal, uh, you know, it, and I, it could be an older coach thing of some sorts, but when you think back on it, the big guys he got from the portal were his sons, or his son, I guess, Jimmy. I think Buddy was all, was committed to Syracuse out of high school, but I know Jimmy Beheim went to Cornell. Hmm. So uh, it's hard to name another high profile transfer he's gotten in the interim. So I think getting a younger guy in there who's more portal wise, you know, maybe connects with recruits a little better will help them. I, I think you're going to see a talent increase, but the real question is going to be, does Red Autry stick with the zone? And if not, what becomes the new program identity? 
Yeah. I also, like, when you, he got a bunch of wins removed about a decade ago for this program, but it's like 70%, 71% all-time win percentage over 40 years. Uh, multiple Final Fours, I think, what, five, six uh, Final Fours? I will say, like, if you had told um, Will, um, CBB expert Will Warren, uh, <laughs> 20 years ago, that when Syracuse moved to the, the, to the ACC, Jim Beheim would win the conference exactly zero times. Uh, would you have believed it? Probably not. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, 2013-14, that was the year I think they started 24-25-0, and you figured mm-hmm. just like, okay, and they had made the Final Four the year prior, so you think like, yeah, Syracuse entering the ACC probably going to win some games, and it just hasn't worked out for them at all. But I think you know, you're kind of committed to it at this point unless you want to, you know, and the football program, I guess, is good enough to where you can't really jump back to the Big East, you know, in one sport and then just leave the other hanging up hanging out to dry in the acc or wherever it's also just like absolutely insane that this man played at syracuse that was Mm -hmm. his only school in 63 to 66 then was an assistant from 69 to 76 and then was the head coach from 76 to 2023 that man has been syracuse there is like company men like guys who just uh program lifers but then there is Jim Beheim lifers where it's like he never went anywhere. Like he played there, he coached there as an assistant, and then he coached there for like that man. I mean, Coach K didn't even do that. Like Coach K obviously started an army and all this stuff, but like it's pretty wild that Jim Beheim was just Syracuse through and through for, for the amount of time that he was there. Who's your favorite all time Jim Beheim Syracuse player? Uh, Jerry McNamara, easily. Mm. Okay. Easily Jerry McNamara. Or, uh, I don't know, Buddy Beheim was honestly pretty fun towards the end, too. Do you know who mine was? Johnny Flynn. Love Johnny, Johnny Flynn. Flynn pretty good at that. Wesley Johnson, I was convinced, was going to be very good in the NBA. Hmm. It's fair. He had the makeup and the look and, like, long, could shoot. <laughs> yeah. Never worked out. I don't really understand why Wesley Johnson just not did not work out at the NBA level. High lottery guy. Um, Mark Adams out at texas tech we don't have to get into the minutia of what happened here uh it was wrong and insane um for him to say what he said and (laughs) my shirt that says i am not racist is raising a lot of questions already answered by my shirt oh my god (laughs) um so he's out and texas tech is now open texas is open which raises the question will where do you think both go and is texas tech even it's so hard to forecast for them obviously because they're still in the power conference big 12 um obviously going all in on basketball bright your mark as the new commish um we'll see if they end up adding gonzaga and a couple of their big programs too in the coming years i think bill self said this week openly that they he really wants arizona in this conference so um the big 12 is going to be the premier basketball conference if it's not already so i think any up like any coach rising up the ranks or any arresting name should look at texas tech as a good job i think by and large less pressure than going to austin um i wonder if texas tech and texas look for the same candidates i don't know where where do you think texas tech goes and do you think there's a chance they end up pulling right out of the hat and ending up with a better coach than texas when it's all of a sudden where texas goes glamour and texas tech just goes best basketball coach uh, I don't know about better than what Texas is going to do just because Texas has a lot more money. Mm. Um, and it seems kind of like, you know, it, it's, it could be Rodney Terry. I don't really know there. It seems like they're also very convinced they can get Jerome Tang, which mm. it wouldn't be a bad hire either. 
and there's always the Cal question of like, is Calipari one, the guy for Texas and two, would he make the jump? But mm. the Texas tech aspect of this specifically, it's weird to say that a team is lucky that they got rid of their coach. Mm. But they are kind of lucky to get rid of their coach at this specific time in history when you have two state of Texas lifers, like very high up in the mid-major ranks, like Grant McCaslin at North Texas or Paul Mills at Oral Roberts, both would be really good fits for what Texas Tech does. Maybe Mills a little more so, so because you've, you've kind of seen it pointed out in some of the articles, Texas Tech has a little bit of the outlaw culture to mm. them, which like that really works for when you're trying to sell a fan base on your style of play. I love Grant McCaslin. His style of play is not the sexiest thing in the world. I mean, they play as slow as Virginia. Uh, Oral Roberts, extraordinarily fun to watch. But I think McCaslin or Mills, either one, would win a lot of games there. So that you, And I think at a school like Tech, where you're not going to have the most money, you're not going to have the biggest budget, and you're not going to be able to draw the most recruits to Lubbock, Texas, you have to do something weird and unusual to make yourself stand out. It's like why you would run the triple option at football or whatever. So uh, I, I think one of those two guys could be really good for them. And I, I would not worry too much if I were them about trying to hire in the new Big 12 because their regionality actually lends a benefit to them where they can draw guys who know Texas as a state and as a recruiting area really well uh, versus if they were located in Arizona, for example. If you're McDermott, do you consider either? Where you're like, I think I'm reaching the tipping point for what I can do at Creighton. And like, I wouldn't go to Texas Tech if I was him. Would you go to Texas? Maybe. Uh, the problem is that Creighton is, frankly, like in a really good position where, hmm. I mean, you could either go, and I understand this is sort of quote unquote running from the grind, but mm-hmm. you could either go play in a Big 12 that has had, you know, four of like the 10 best programs of the last decade, or you can play in the big East where, you know, like your only true year in year out competition is like UConn. Hmm. And like, yeah, Marquette has had a really good year. Yes. Xavier has, yes. Providence has, but they are not consistently top two, top three, every single season. That conference is constantly in flux and Creighton and UConn have been about the only two constants at the top. I feel so it's an it's not necessarily an easier job, but it's a job where you can win more games. I, and I, I don't know that he would be, in my head, the best fit at a Texas. You kind of need the natural salesman of sorts. And by all indications, Greg McDermott just likes to coach basketball games. Yeah, that's probably fair. But it's also, I like seeing him in like burnt orange isn't like a crazy thing for me. I could see it. And, and it's like, to, to say all that, but then to acknowledge, like, Rick Barnes was the coach at Texas for 16 years, and he's kind of obviously not the most natural salesperson. Right. Um, it can work. So, mm-hmm. but it, it's just, it's a hard sell in my head for for Greg to Texas for me. Mm. Um, your favorite mid-major to go dancing thus far is who? This is a very normie answer. And so I will say for the record, I am excluding the WCC and the Mountain West because mm. those are like upper, like, you know, I don't feel like you think of, because like Boise State's going to be an eight seed or whatever. You don't think of them as, you know, like a, an upset pick, mm. really. So I am going to say Drake. And I did not anticipate saying this, and I'm still not totally sure I believe in them. But this is a Drake team that takes care of the ball really well. They shoot it amazingly. So they've played 21 games against quadrants one through three. 
38% from deep. Um, they've got bucket getters. They play really good defense. Uh, it's going to be, as always for these mid-majors, matchup dependent on who they draw. Hmm. Um, and so I, I'm waiting, uh, figuring that they're a 12 seed, I'm kind of waiting uh, and feeling out who they might draw for that five. Um, but of the ones that are like plausible... I think like you could make an argument that playing Miami could be quite beneficial for them. Mm. And you could definitely say that getting Iowa State would not be a bad draw. Mm. So I think one of those two um one of those two could really help them out. And I, I don't know, you you it's hard to trust Mountain West in March, so maybe San Diego State isn't that bad, but if they draw Iowa State or Miami, and Iowa State especially, I understand they beat Baylor. Mm. But that's a team that has really been trending the wrong way as of late. I would be interested to see in what Drake could do to their offense. And with Miami, that's a deal where Drake's offense isn't as good as its defense, but Miami's defense is so bad to let anybody into a game. I mean, they they, they beat Cornell 112 to 110 this year. So surely Drake can score on them. That's fair. Um, I like it. I was not expecting Drake from you. Uh, the biggest surprise to go dancing thus far is who? It's what you want to know what the biggest surprise is. No surprises yet, really. The biggest surprise so far, I suppose, and this is a real knock on wood moment, is uh, Eastern Washington losing the Big Sky tournament, and even mm. then, the analytically better team in Montana State won it. Mm. This is the first year in a little bit that I can personally recall where most of the headline mid-majors are actually winning the one bid league uh, tournament. So like Charleston won theirs. Oral Roberts easily won theirs. Drake was the best team in the NBC. They won theirs. Uh, Furman in the SoCon. Colgate in the Patriot. Montana State in the Big Sky. UNC Asheville in the Big South. This is the fewest amount of upsets I feel like I've seen in conference tournament week in years, which makes me feel like this is going to be a really wild round of 64. Mm. Um because all the good teams in those mid-majors won. So yeah, which, no, which like, is yeah. awesome. I mean, probably the biggest surprise really is Liberty not winning the Atlantic Sun. And even mm. then, they had to go on the road to Kennesaw to play that game. So That looked fun, man. If I was back home in Atlanta, I would have gone to that. That looked awesome. That's a great... I love when mid-majors who don't have that historic run of success before... Mm. You know, like When everybody's on the bandwagon, I just think that's really cool. You're building mm. something. You're building Mercer a had culture. that a decade ago like when mercer went on that road and beat uh beat duke and everything and yeah. all the mercer folks traveled for that one and so and so uh that's probably your biggest true upset so far i guess louisiana lafayette didn't win the Sun Belt in the regular season but they were one of about four roughly equal teams it, i am willing to say that so three things have to happen for me to call this the best year in history for um for mid-majors and conference tournaments one mm. Got to see Sam Houston State win the whack. Really love those guys. Top 15 defense in America. Already beat Oklahoma on the road. Extraordinarily dangerous 12 seed if they get in. Mm-hmm. Two, Kent State wins the MAC. Nearly beat Gonzaga. Nearly beat Houston. Really good team. Uh, and number three, we need a second Conference USA team in the field. Let's get these get these Big Ten losers out of here. <laughs> I don't. I understand they beat Michigan today. Don't want Rutgers in the field. Nasty, nasty people. Nasty offense. Don't want to see it. It's gross, folks. Turn it off. Um. Uh, well, it's want... your team's fault for Rutgers being in it right is now. Truly. Well, it's it's um it's everybody but Hunter Dickinson's fault, I think. Mm. Um. 
I do actually want Penn State in. Penn State are quite fun to watch. Uh, but Mississippi State, dis, dis, so well, I'm spoiling my stat of the week here, but I'm mm. going to use it anyway. Did you know that Mississippi State would have the worst three-point percentage to make the field in 18 years if they got in? Really? And they're 27. in. 27.3% from deep, dead last in America. And they are on the right side of the bubble right now. We how do not need it? that team in the field. Get them out. Get if you North explain Texas how they can do that and how they made that, how how would you explain it? How would I explain State made it? Yeah, like how would you explain that they survived and are now going to be a tournament team when they ha- make that kind of stat happen? Number six defense. Mm. It's a, pretty much as simple as that. Number six defense, they rebound well and they force a lot of turnovers. But it is unwatchable. They had an tonight. amazing fast break oop, though, in that game against Florida today. That, that was like their their first good moment of the season. <laughs> and it's sad because I love Chris Chance. Great coach, mm. but uh, ugh, just not my thing. But mm. Stinky, like, I think stinky. you should leave. Yeah, it's stinky. like the I think you should leave guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if, if the mid-majors keep winning, and I feel like we're on such a hot streak that all three of the things I just mentioned happening are not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, FAU is going to win the CUSA. Uh, Utah Valley wins the Mac, and then like you get some horrifying Mac winner like Eastern Michigan or whatever. I don't even think they're in the Mac tournament. Like Ohio, something maybe? like something no one wants. Mm. Um, but that I'm I'm really rooting for that. And then no bid thieves in the big conferences. Like we don't need a 12 seed Oregon State thing happening again. Mm-hmm. Gross. Get them out of here. <laughs> Turn it off um of that list though of all the the teams that ended up winning as they should have who is the most likely to do a saint peter's run this year of the so of the ones that have already run or oh god already won mm-hmm. you've I already really run like too, louisiana i love louisiana lafayette their style of play translates pretty darn well to what we kind of look for in march where they own the boards really well. They out-rebound opponents by 7.4 per 100 possessions. Positive turnover margin. They shoot the three really well. Um, And they don't allow many three-point attempts at all either, which makes for a pretty interesting watch against three-point heavy offenses. That's the type of lower-seeded team, because I figure we're looking for like a 14 or 15 that can Mm -hmm. go in that run. I would pick Lafayette. Um, UC Irvine, if they get in, could be quite interesting because they can't score, but they play great defense. Um, and I, I was frankly quite bummed that Northwestern State didn't win the Southland Conference because their style of play, so they are, I mean, they already beat TCU this season. Their style of frenetic play, you know, probably more likely than not and lends itself to a 25 point beating, but on the right night can keep you in a game. But one of those. Like the Southland in general, their teams play that frenetic style of ball where they force a lot of turnovers and just hack to death, fouls-wise. So uh, I think the problem is that when we try and pick the St. Peter's, what we forget is that we never know that the St. Peter's is there until it happens. Mm. That's probably fair. Um, I I think this is going to be fun. I, I, I feel like, are we rooting for all the these teams to win? Like, I want at least one George Mason. I want at least one final four team from mid-major i want one uh, i'm least. rooting for all of them to do it unless they play tennessee in which case they should lose by 50 points mm. oh this is how we can end who is the one that tennessee of all of these mid-majors to win who would be the worst matchup for tennessee and uh, i don't like weekend? doing this because it's going to speak it into existence you got to do uh, it so people on twitter are really freaked out about Furman, and i don't see it Furman's defense is terrible mm. i mean Furman can shoot it well don't get me wrong but 
teams with their profile have generally just done the thing where they've scored 80 points but given up 90 in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what you're kind of looking for is like a team that can sort of not play Tennessee style point for point, but go slow, mm-hmm. you know, you know, grind, grind that game out, you know, tell Tennessee like, yeah, we'll play your 61 possession game, but we're going to play hard as nails defense on you. So like I, I don't think UC Irvine would be a favorable draw. I think that would be a pretty rough one actually for Tennessee on paper because Irvine does a tremendous job of taking away stuff at the rim hmm. and forcing tough twos. Um, beyond that, there's no super obvious ones. Uh, I mean, because they're not going to fall to a five since they beat uh, Ole Miss today, hmm. uh, and probably if they beat Missouri tomorrow or whenever this airs to you know quote today. Uh, they will be a f- three in all likelihood. So I-, I would say UC Irvine or Montana State could possibly do it a little bit. Montana State plays a similar style of tough defense. Uh, and crucially, that would be bad for Tennessee is that they get to the line a ton. They're hmm. number five in America in free throw attempts. That's if they call it on Tennessee that night. It depends That's on who's true. officiating. It's extremely official dependent, right? Mm-hmm. So. For sure. Um, well, that's all I've got, Will. Uh, you've written a bunch uh, over on statswillsubstackcom Go, 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 go. I'm saying it multiple times today. Go, go, go to statswillsubstackcom Subscribe today. Will's got all kinds of great Tennessee content and uh, college basketball content as a whole because we're now in Will's just uh, <laughs> crazy time where I don't even know how Will's going to like, what did you, do you have an agreement with your wife where it's like, we will reconvene in a couple of weeks, but this is, this is just the current state of affairs. Like it's, it's March. No, she watches games. Like she, okay. Carly's really into uh, the big dance and whatnot. Mm. She loses, she doesn't understand why I love like, so like I had the summit league title game on the other uh-huh. night. She was like, or, or she was like one who is oral roberts two this game is already like a 25 point game turn it off mm-hmm. but uh the only thing that's really suffered is we haven't watched uh the newest episode of abbott elementary yet so mm. very understanding family so far which is nice it's a great one i what i do well, my wife we're watch she's watching sopranos for the first time all oh. the way through so we're going through that which is great and then it's also um the one that we watch every week and it's just because it's so bad and it's a train wreck that we cannot ever look away from his milf manor milf manor <laughs> is the most insane cringe show it's the it's the rock bottom of reality trash tv well yeah. but it's some it's a car crash that you cannot look away from you cannot you cannot do it i will have to look it up for sure you don't have to will <laughs> Thankfully, all kinds of great TVs coming back in a couple weeks. We got Succession coming back. We've got Yellow Jackets, which is my favorite. That's coming back in a couple weeks on Showtime. Um, a lot of good stuff coming back. Love is Blind season four. Um, you know, just all kinds of great stuff. Sasswell.substack.com. Subscribe today. Follow me on Twitter. Sasswell. All that good stuff. Will Warren, enjoy the week. Enjoy the weekend. Have some fun, my friend. And I will talk to you next week. Good to talk to you, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.